Right, let me see. The story of Lord Sutcliffe, who played with ice and fire and was consumed. One day a lord who had no friends caught fast a beast below the Thames. He chained it down, he was not nice, it howled in pain beneath the ice. And once a year above its lair, the lord would build a great frost fair where pies were baked and flags were waved and urchin children misbehaved. Then lights would dance beneath their feet and snatch the boys and girls to eat. Snick-snack! Snick-snack! A dread buffet. The beast's rear end was miles away. Their journey through its gut was cruel and turned them into rocket fuel. For all this cavalcade of ills was just a ruse to power mills. Who could deduce this ghastly crime? There was but one, the Lord of Time. Poor Sutcliffe scarce had time to gloat, ere heading down the monster's throat. Crick, crack. Crick, crack. The ice was thin. It split apart to swallow him. My tale is done. Pray, child, don't shiver. But venture not onto the river. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Oodcast, the Ood One Out. We called ourselves the Ood One Out because there's only one of us who is here every week, that's me. People were wondering why we called it that. That's why I am the Ood One Out. My name is Chris Sigma or Mead, depending on how much you want to be talking about what's on my birth certificate. That's the difference between those two. Um, very exciting this week. I have two guests, two guests, and one of them you may recognise. It is my great friend and co-host, Andrew Candish. Hello. Welcome back. Thanks. How are you feeling? Uh, it, it excited actually, and uh, sort of slightly, slightly overwhelmed. It's um, in a good way. In a good way, because it's just really nice to be back. Andy said earlier, "Ah, you've redecorated." I don't like it. He did very good, and I said, "Ah, fifth Doctor reference," and he was like, "No, third Doctor reference." Second, my reference for that line is the Five Doctors, whereas obviously it was a Three Doctors quote. Ah, yes, no, you're quite right. Yeah, 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 yeah. full marks. <laughs> and while Andrew and I uh, argue over who ephemera, I should really introduce our third host, Emily Jenick. Hello. Hello, and welcome to the Oodcast. Thank you. You are our first ever honorary Ood. I'm very excited about that. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be talking Doctor Who with you guys. Emily, you are a Doctor Who fan? That's correct. Would you like to tell us a little about your Doctor Who history? 
I certainly can. Uh, quite controversially, I am a new school Whovian, so I've never seen any of the old series. Um, but my first interaction with Doctor Who was actually quite late in the game. I saw Blink on TV and mm -hmm. utterly fell in love with it and uh, <laughs> continued on from there. Oh, fantastic. And you're a dyed-in-the-wool fan now. Absolutely. You should know that there is no problem with being a new Who fan. My wife, Laura, is also one of those, and she has been on the show the entire time. Excellent. No problem at all. And you do Doctor Who songs too, right? I do. I actually have my own YouTube channel where I'm trying to do more Doctor Who parody songs. <laughs> well, we will help people out by putting a link to that via social media. Lovely. So look out for that. Great. So we are going to talk the third episode of season 10, Thin Ice, which is uh, a very exciting episode. I, I just can't stop. I, I really liked it. I'm just going to go straight up front and say that. Um, I'm very excited about it. Because this is a mini episode, we have got a slightly new format, and this is how it works. Each of us has written down three things that we thought were good about the episode. And one thing we thought, was not so good. Now, these can be tiny little character moments or they can be massive overarching themes. I just don't know because I haven't asked them about it yet. Uh, and we'll go through them one at a time and chat a bit about them. And then the episode will end. That's <laughs> how time works for everyone other than Time Lords. Uh, so I guess it's time to press the button and activate the first jingle. One thing... The first thing I really liked about this episode was how it dealt with the race card. Uh, it is not the first time we've had a companion worried about the colour of their skin uh, going back in time. You'll remember that Martha was worried about it when she went back to Shakespearean time. Um, and uh, Bill, I love the way that she points to her face and just goes, melanin. Um, I thought that was really clever. Um, obviously, it is... 2017 in the real world and the BBC do a lot of um, inclusive casting so even in time periods where you wouldn't have necessarily seen uh, as much diversity uh, as there is on the episode um, they really do have a lot of different skin tones represented um, but I think it's um, a bit of a worry if you want to cast um, inclusively and sort of in a colorblind way that there's a risk that you might just kind of sweep under the carpet the fact that slavery and um, all that kind of thing was a thing and was a problem and obviously there's a big um, continuing problem that uh, that goes on with racism um, and I think they dealt with that really well um, by having the doctor punch a racist in the face. Yes and this is my first thing as well so I'm really excited that we have a little bit of synergy immediately with that. I agree completely with you I thought it was amazing and though the punch is out of character for the Doctor in the broad sense, I felt it completely made sense in that context. I felt like the doc this is the sort of thing that would drive the Doctor, especially this Doctor, to violence. So I thought it was earned and brilliant. And you can't put lines like that in a character's mouth if someone isn't going to smash it in very quickly afterwards. So I am completely in agreement with you. I thought it was very well done, beautiful to see. And I feel like this program doctor who should be a force for good in the world and so it's great that we saw that in the show and out of it i'm going to continue the theme of synergy because my first thing is uh the line oh well he can't be an alien then because he's a racist <laughs> which i think encapsulates so much of the idea of the sort of universal 
uh, themes you can get in Doctor Who. The idea that an alien would exploit the workers on Earth, but wouldn't be bothered about their skin color or their sexuality and all that sort of thing. Uh, so he must just be a run-of-the-mill 19th century capitalist, therefore. <laughs> I thought the racism made his character all the more deplorable. And and they really met it head-on. I think you were right. In some of the other episodes, particularly in the, uh, in Martha's case, that kind of racist stuff was really softly played to a point where it was almost non-existent. Uh, these lines were really to the point and left you in no doubt what he felt uh, about Bill. Yeah, I felt like the, the, the program was growing up a bit, maybe. Mm. I, I did like the... Um the idea that the doctor goes in there and says, look, you've got to be calm. You've got to negotiate, <laughs> um, you know, okay. So passion fights and um, negotiation or, or reason wins. And then he just punches this guy <laughs> because to be, to be fair, he was aiming for charming. Yeah, he was. There's an amazing guy on Twitter called Andrew Ellard. And every week he does something he calls tweet notes where he reviews He's a script editor. He used to be a script editor for Red Dwarf. Uh, he's amazing. And he breaks down... Do you guys know this at all? He no, breaks no. down each episode in, with the script editor's eye. And one of his things was that one of the themes of this episode, and actually one of the themes of the entire Moffat era, is the Doctor, what he does versus what he says. So he says, I'll never interfere. He, then he goes and immediately comforts a crying child. He says reason over passion and then punches someone out i think moffat is extremely interested in the doctor's sense of himself versus who he actually is in the world Two things. my second thing is something that i've always really enjoyed about stephen moffat's doctor who is that he comes up with or, or, or presumably in the the process of creating seasons that he um, nurtures the more fantastical stories there are things like the beast below god complex forest of the night kill the moon where the series says something really interesting and quite deep and uh, challenging through a more fantastical method of storytelling so you've got um, you know the beast below was a giant whale star the, whale star whale, star whale. had yeah. Britain on its back, uh, you know, had things to say about democracy and all that sort of thing. After In the Forest of the Night went out, a friend of mine said, well, that that was a bit strange. That was a bit different. I'm not sure I like that. But my response was, you know, Doctor Who's concept is that it can do whatever it wants narratively. <laughs> uh, and I welcome that. We're open arms. And the idea of discussing socialism and... Um, capitalism and all that through such a fantastical storyline to me it's just it's just a joyous thing to see on the telly the evils of consumerism mm. through feces yeah is essentially what this story is and i did enjoy the fact that it was never actually named, named. <laughs> it was uh bill's reaction of like picking up one of the slabs was oh i see what that is and I loved how long the creature is, like we see on the scanner and the TARDIS, that it is essentially the entire length of the Thames. In we London. Might, yeah, we might suppose that we have this massively serpentine mm. river because it's always been there. Mm. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. There we go. That's why we do the podcast. <laughs> 
Um, so my second thing that I really liked was basically the coming of age of the companion. Uh, so this is the third episode that we've seen Bill in. Um, she's had a bit of a romp and then she has had sort of the reality of the situation set in a little bit more in episode two. Uh, but this is the first time she's actually faced um, the real consequences of what happens in the life of the Doctor. So she's seen someone die um, and she's saying to him, have you killed anyone? Have you seen people die? How many? And um, really seeing the darker side of the Doctor and his adventures and what actually happens. Um, and in the same way as that um, in that episode with the Star Whale, Amy kind of has her test her real big test there of uh, what kind of companion she's going to be. I think we've seen Bill's big test where the Doctor asks for an order and uh, she shows in the way that humans and companions so reliably do um, compassion over all else and I think that's really amazing to see and I think that character has cemented a place in my heart now. <laughs> And it's why the Doctor loves the human race in the end, is that we are capable of that great compassion. We're capable of horrible things, and this episode shows us that as well. But the reason he keeps coming back, other than it's hard to film on other planets, is because he sees something in us. He sees something that we could be truly great and that's so cool. I like the idea that he asks her for the order, because she could very well have just said well no because it might take out greenland like she does say that doesn't she but at the same time the right thing to do is to set a creature free who's uh experiencing unbearable centuries old agony of being chained up and you know exploited yeah and i think that's a great thing for the doctor to challenge his companion and say well if you're going to travel with me here are the choices you're going to make i'm going to challenge you here to give me an order if it's not the right order, he'd probably sort of set it free, I'd imagine. Yeah, and I think probably that would be the end of Bill's adventures as well. I don't think I agree with that. I ah. think very much we've set up this idea of the professor and the student, that if she made the wrong choice, I think he would still teach her until she made the right choice next right. time around. Mm. Yeah, no, you're right, actually. He probably wouldn't just sling her out the TARDIS. <laughs> uh, I just got excited about this idea that the first three episodes are are actually completely consecutive. There's no time between them. Mm. They run on, all three of them happen in a moment between the kettle beginning to boil mm. and the tea being poured, even though he puts coffee in the tea. I know, blasphemy. What kind of barbarian is he? It should, it should just be coffee. <laughs> what? <laughs> right, I'm, you? I'm turning your microphone off. <laughs> um, no, you're right. It is a teaching relationship and, and probably this is a teachable moment like everything else. Um, my second point is, once again, very much like Emily's, which is Bill again. I think she's been one of my points every week so far. But specifically, it's great to see things fresh through the eyes of a new companion. And this particular companion has a very interesting perspective. And that's that she's one of us. She's a sci-fi geek. And everything that she does, she's got this kind of sci-fi reference like she talks about the butterfly effect and she just is. She's a geek and it's amazing because the companion's always been an audience surrogate. So why not make the surrogate as close to us as possible? So she says the sort of things that I would say because I've seen loads of science fiction films and television series. So I would ask those questions too. 
And I just think it's so interesting. And am I right in thinking there's never been a companion that's sort of versed in science fiction? We had, oh, what's her name, who got the scarf from the um, curator. Oh, yes. Osgood. Osgood. Oh, yeah. I think she was the closest we've had to a Doctor Who fan being a character on Doctor Who. Of course, Osgood had the great advantage of of, uh, not just being a Doctor Who fan, but also being in the same universe as the Doctor. Therefore, she knew him and worked with him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine us three actually meeting the Doctor? It would be pretty crazy. Yeah, but the other thing I really loved was her rage. When the first kid died, that bit of acting, that speech, I thought was beautifully written, incredibly performed. We've seen it a lot, companions getting angry at the Doctor. Some of them seem to have come out of nowhere, though, as a bit of a plot point. This felt really organic and natural. And I think part of that's due to the brilliant script and part of it's due to the brilliant performance. um, But either way, I thought, wow, that's a great bit of television. Three things that we liked. Okay, third thing. Uh, Mine is just a really tiny moment that I loved, uh, which is when they're in Sutcliffe's study, the Doctor is playing with a model of the solar system. And he just readjusts things a little bit. It's just in the background. I don't know if it's even a bit of improvisation on the part of Peter Capaldi on that day, but he just readjusts the moons around Jupiter or something and just recalibrates it and sort of nods and walks off. And it was just, what a great little moment to show (laughs) the Doctor's character. Even when he's in the belly of the beast and the lair of this evil man, he's still like, well, that's not quite right. (laughs) There we go. And I just think... Oh, wow, what a lovely sketch of that character. So my third point is just that tiny moment, which I loved. Well, my third thing it also takes place in the same setting, um, but it's shortly after, and it is the epic speech that Capaldi gives about what defines a species. Um, I love this speech. It's very similar in the sort of magnitude of it uh, to the one he gave in the Zygon invasion about warfare and negotiation. Um, but the thing that I really liked about this speech was that shortly after, um, Bill was fangirling just as much as I was. <laughs> I was sat there going... Oh, that is good. That is just so good. Great telly, that. My third thing is Marxism in Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) Has Doctor Who ever been quite this sort of like openly making a political point? Now, you see online, I I, I I tapped into Google left-wing Doctor Who and some very interesting things came up. There was an article from the New Statesman a couple of years ago saying Doctor Who, the character of the Doctor being the last great enlightenment figure, the egalitarian, ever curious and dedicated to reason and the principle that the sonnet screwdriver is mightier than the sword. Uh, And then fascinatingly, Judith Holberstam notes that capitalism was often realised as a monster sucking, draining and transferring matter into commodity, commodity into value and value into capitalism, which of course is the big fish thing, is the literal representation of that. And what you end up with is those bricks of blood. Yeah. Start with human lives, end up with that. Gregory, my boy. Yes, father. Come closer. Gregory, there's something I need to tell you. What is it, father? Gregory, as you know, I am very old. And it won't be long now before I die. You are my son and heir, so when I die, 
you will take over as lord of this estate. You will be in charge of the house and grounds, a lavish inhabitants suited to your stature. You will also be in charge of the steel mill, a thriving industrial hub of progress, pressing forward and serving this great empire. Oh, and there's also the giant fish we keep chained up in the Thames, which you need to feed people to and then collect its poop. I'm sorry, what was the last point? The steel mill? Well, you're mostly there as a figurehead. Steve, the foreman, runs things from day um, to day. No, no, um, the the other thing. Ah, yes, the giant man-eating fish chained to the riverbed of the Thames. Well, it's been passed down through our family for generations, and... You, um, can't argue with tradition? I'm trying to think of the Sylvester McCoy episode where they literally had Margaret Thatcher, Space Margaret Thatcher. Happiness Patrol. Yeah, it was Happiness Patrol, wasn't it? I feel like that was the last time I really thought, oh, this is just what's happening now. Mm -hmm. This is happening now. But I think, oh, I'm going to be slightly political here, but I think this is the time that Doctor Who needs to step up to the plate and wear its colours on its sleeve a little bit more because the world is a terrifying place at the moment. There is so much that I would consider oh, scary and and forces that are evil and greedy in the world having all the power. So this is the time that this series has to be a little bit more overt about what it believes is right. Absolutely. And I think the Doctor is a real inspiration in terms of standing up for what you think is right and not just saying, oh, that's not right, I shouldn't do anything Mm. about that, really taking a stand and having the bravery as well as the sort of moral grounding. And I've said this before, but the stories we tell ourselves, the television series, the poems, the books, the films, that's what changes things, I think. I think our entertainment are myths and legends they're modern myths and legends they're how we define ourselves it's how we tell the generations that come after us what we believe in and what we stand for so it needs to do that i fully agree and endorse that opinion as do i (laughs) this bit is not so good the thing that i didn't like so much kind of contradicts one of the things that I did like very much. I like this. <laughs> so the thing is, right, I said earlier one of the things I really liked was how the fantastical stories of the Stephen Moffat era, or indeed Doctor Who in general, really engaged me, perhaps a little bit more than the more the ones that are grounded more in reality. The idea of a sort of, what, I don't know, five-mile-long fish being chained up under the Thames uh for centuries and centuries and how on earth did they discover it how on earth did they get it chained down how long did it take for those pilot fish to evolve and with their special spinny thing that could suck people down through the ice and all this sort of stuff i've no idea and it doesn't make any sense right but i don't care no me neither andy me neither good fantastic um mine is fairly simple it's just that i don't think that the budget and CGI were quite good enough to keep up with the concept of the episode. Water is just notoriously hard to do anyway. So to do, I mean, even multi-million dollar American films can't do water well. So I felt that their ambition was slightly over and above what they could actually put on the screen. But do you know what, Andy? Do you know what, Emily? I don't care. Yes. I didn't care either. (laughs) 
Um, my one one uh, issue with the um, episode was just one line, and it was one of Bill's lines uh, when they're standing on top of the ice trying to get eaten. Uh, she says, why do we need the dive suits on top of the ice? And they have literally just gone over the plan, and I feel like that's not something her character would say at that point because she's not dim. Uh, she's very switched on. So I think potentially that's just a bit of a continuity issue, that that was in an original script somewhere and they didn't cut it out before they put it to air. Yeah, me to look a little bit slow doesn't it yeah yeah but you know what we don't care we don't, we care. don't care do we <laughs> we love it anyway <laughs> hi everyone here's the haiku for thin ice lord's fortune made by feeding punters to big eel ends up as its lunch amazing so that was our thoughts. Um, so overall, I'm getting the impression that we liked this episode. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm. Oh, they're smashing it. Mm. Three for three for me at the moment. Brilliant stuff. I have actually said to someone who recently asked where they should start watching Doctor Who that if it's too big a task, start with this season. Mm. Mm. And you can always go back. Exactly. Well, I feel like another episode of the Udwan Out is drawing to a close. It seems so quick nowadays. That's because it is. That's the reason for that. Emily, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Um, are there any ways that our listeners can uh, see your stuff, uh, follow you on social media, that kind of thing? Yes. Uh, the easiest way to find me is actually just on YouTube. Um which is youtube.com forward slash M-L-E-M-L-E-H. Uh, you can also look me up on Twitter. I'm Emily Jenick. Much easier to remember. Fantastic. Andy, are you at the same handle on Twitter or have you changed? I've got two Twitter handles. What? I'm greedy. You see, since we were last were doing the Udcast and kind of like a long-term sort of thing, I've run away and joined the theatre. I'm now an actor. So the thing is, right, that uh, I'm still at Ood Andy. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to giggle, it's ooh dandy, ooh dandy. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that's my my Doctor Whoy oodcasty stuff. And if you want to see my actory stuff, it's at Andrew Candish. That sounds wow. very official. Mm. You got just the full name. Mm. That's amazing. I didn't have to change it. There's no one else in Equity called that. That's really good. There are so many Chris Meads. <laughs> I, just, I know a Chris Mead in Australia. There you go. It's a, just a really normal name. Wasn't there somebody, a character was named Chris Mead after you, wasn't it? On yeah, telly. there's a made-up character in Waterloo Road, the deputy headmaster, who's called Chris Mead, and he's named after me. Brilliant. I know. He was a bit of a bounder as well. I was like, oh, come on, Chris Mead. Stop being a bounder. Uh, if you would like to talk to us, we are all over the place. Uh <laughs> Basically, type in the Oodcast and it will come up. But the most interesting place at the moment is our new listeners group on Facebook, which is at facebook.com slash the community, which is community, but with an Ood stuck almost randomly in the middle of it. You'll work it out. You're all bright, clever people of taste. Otherwise, you would not be listening to this podcast. Uh, so that's it for another week. Uh, we'll see you again next week where we'll be reviewing... Is that what it's called? It's, I, it's either or... I can't remember. It could be. Do you remember?
you remember, Let's Emily? Not it, if it's no, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, <laughs> only only two. Of hey, them. I've just realised there was knocking from inside the vault at the end yeah. of this week as well. There was three knocks, and then the final one had a fourth knock too. Oh, oh, do do we dare speculate? I think it's a red herring. Do you? Yeah. Mm. It's got to be a red herring, isn't it? Or maybe it isn't. You see, the thing is, right. So is our official view that it's either a red herring <laughs> yeah, or, or it's, it's not. not? Right. Okay, good. I like, I like the idea of the double cross or the double double cross. You know, it's kind of, who knows? We will we'll keep our powder dry and wait and see then, I guess. Uh, until then, see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.
together.